0: Father God, we gather in this room Lord to worship, to pray, to remember together that you are here, right here in our midst with us. And we have your spirit also in us. And so we pray that in this time of reflection and study, you would speak to us as only you are capable. And this we ask, In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I wanna read a passage of scripture to get us into our reflection time this morning, but I'm going to actually change the text and uh, you see if as I read, you can discover the change in the text. It's actually pretty obvious, but uh, you'll see where I'm going with this. Jesus went through Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and the smart people came to him. And the beautiful people and the rich people and the people with thick hair. And he said unto them, blessed are you, you smart, pretty, rich, well-coiffed people, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. (laughs) We can chuckle at that because, of course, that's not at all what Scripture says. What Scripture actually says is this. Jesus went throughout Galilee, that northern part of Palestine there, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We're going to stop right there at that point. It says that when uh, G- when Jesus saw the crowds, uh, that's interesting, so there's a, there are crowds of people hearing this teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. And that crowd, if you were to describe it, it's a, it's a group of needy people. Uh, surely there were poor people in that crowd. There were hurting people. There probably were people who didn't smell too good. You know, there were people who didn't behave that well. Demon-possessed people are usually not known for their good behavior. Uh, In this crowd are people having grand mal seizures, we're told. Uh, There are probably almost certainly lepers that nobody wants to touch and nobody wants to be near. There are probably in that crowd people that cannot hold a job. There are people who cannot fix themselves, their lives, just can't seem to get it together. There are people who have no money for medicine that they desperately need. There are people who are for lack of a better way of saying it, they're just on the edge. And there are people who have very little or maybe no hope at all. How will Jesus tell this crowd of people, this motley crew, the good news? Well, the most famous talk in the history of the world had the most famous beginning of any talk ever given. Although it is a beginning that's widely misunderstood. Jesus begins his talk by saying, Blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed. Wow. (laughs) That's an interesting, loaded word. The first word of this great message uh, has become kind of, in our day, almost a cliche. Somebody sneezes and we say, Bless you. Yeah. In the South, people say, um, bless you, or they'll say things like, bless your little heart, which isn't really a blessing. It's more of a, you are pathetic kind of statement, you know, in the South, that's kind of what that means. But in the Bible, the word blessed actually addresses a question that haunts, and I mean that, haunts the human race, and that is, who really does live the good life? Who, who really does have the good life? Who really is well off? Who really is blessed? Any serious thinker about the human condition must address questions like that. The biggest movement in psychology for the last 20 years has been called positive psychology. And positive psychology has done a ton, and I mean it, a ton of actually good research on this subject of happiness and well being among human beings. They want to know who really does have the good life. What are the keys to living the good life? Everybody has an idea about this. There was an ad for a car not very long ago that I saw. It was a sports car, of course. And it said, chase happiness in a car that can catch it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, There's a magazine that's here locally. It's 5280. I bet almost all of you have seen it. Uh, For some time, uh, for some reason, once upon a time, we actually received this magazine. I don't recall ever signing up for it, but you know how that happens. So the magazine 5280, it's about Denver, 5,280 feet, you know, mile high city. And uh, based on that magazine alone, uh, on its contents, the good life is mostly, I would surmise about fine dining and weight loss. Isn't that interesting how those two don't go together? In addition, fine homes and outdoor recreation. If you were to read that magazine consistently, you would come to the conclusion that, man, that's the good life. Living the good life is just, it's fine dining, it's weight loss, it's outdoor recreation and really, really, really nice homes. Uh, that's living the dream. So how are you doing? Are you living the dream? You know, you really have to uh, think about that phrase when you come to this word, blessed. Blessed. As I said, we kind of have turned it into a cliche, but it's actually a brilliant way to start a talk. Jesus, you had me at the first word, blessed. I wanna know how to live a blessed life, but Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, what does that mean? Poor in spirit. Now it's important we understand something here. You have to understand that it's not a good thing to be poor in spirit. People are mistaken about that. It wasn't a good thing in Jesus' day to be poor in spirit. It's not a good thing today to be poor in spirit. The idea of poor in spirit refers to someone who knows that they are spiritually bankrupt. They know that they are, for lack of a better way of putting it, spiritual zeros. They are spiritually unworthy. That's what poor in spirit is referring to. These folks probably know nothing about the Bible because they are poor in spirit. These folks, uh, well, they probably can't make heads or tails out of how to relate to God or who God is or how one lives their life in light of God. These folks would become nauseous if you asked them to pray in a public setting like this. That's just not where they traffic. That's just not what they do. They, They think that Joan of Arc is probably Noah's wife. They think that the epistles are the wives of the apostles. That's the group we're talking about. The point is, they know that spiritual, spiritually speaking, they really don't have anything to offer themselves to recommend themselves to God. They are therefore spiritually, morally humble, base, if you will. Now, interestingly, this group of people were also often financially poor in addition to spiritually poor in Jesus' day. Very often these two things went together. So, what does Jesus mean when he says, blessed? are the poor in spirit. I mean, how is that in any way, shape, or form living the dream? Well, understand, they are blessed or blessed not because they are poor in spirit, but because now through Jesus, the possibility of life in the presence and the power and the favor and the love and the guidance and the strength of Almighty God has come from up there down to here and is now available to them. Jesus went around talking about this, talking about the forgiveness, the grace, the strength, the wisdom, the healing power, the joy, the acceptance of Almighty God now being available to the spiritually poor in spirit. You see, it no longer mattered what others said about them. There were groups of people uh, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Palestine at that time that would look at this this rabble, this motley crew and speak badly about them, think badly about them because they weren't well-educated spiritually speaking. They weren't doing a good job of keeping the law spiritually speaking. But you see, along comes Jesus and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit because those who are poor in spirit, those who know their true spiritual condition, Jesus says, to you, you will be blessed, not because you have achieved some meritorious condition, but precisely because you know you can't. And so you turn to God. You are blessed because in your deplorable condition, the ruler of heaven has moved redemptively upon and through you by the grace of Jesus. God has come to you, Jesus is saying. That's why you're blessed. You might remember from the last election, there was one of the candidates that used a phrase that kind of stuck to them. And it wasn't a very good phrase. I think they regretted using it. Uh, They called a group of people uh, the basket of deplorables. You remember that phrase? Well, that's the audience for the Sermon of the Mount, the basket of deplorables. That's who Jesus will choose for his disciples. That friends is frankly us, this basket of deplorables, people who really aren't perfect. We are the basket of deplorables. We're nothing more, we're nothing better than that, spiritually speaking. So Jesus is contrasting his beatitudes against who the world says is eligible for the good life, the blessed life. And who does the world say is living the dream? This is, of course, apart from God. Who does the world say is living the dream? All human cultures apart from God always have their own list of beatitudes, their own list of who's really blessed, who's really living the dream. Blessed are the talented. That would be one for our day. Blessed are the CFOs, the CEOs, the VIPs, the MBAs, the PhDs, blessed are the slender. Yeah, (laughs) blessed are those who went to the best colleges. Blessed are those who get out there and hustle. Did you uh, hear this one? This is kind of interesting. Uh, An Uber driver was being praised for the fact that when she went into labor, she kept picking up fares all the way to the hospital. And so Uber was praising her, you know, that's good hustle. That's what we like to see. So in our culture, uh, one of the Beatitudes would be blessed are the LinkedIn and the Twitter followed. You see, then all of the people who are not on that list, who are not LinkedIn, who are not Twitter followed, what do they say about themselves? Well, you know, I'm not living the good life. I just don't cut it apparently. I don't count, nobody cares, I'm not blessed. And Jesus would say, yeah, that is not true. That is just not true. The world has it literally upside down. It's got it backwards. You see, friends, everybody has to answer this question because you you will base your life on something. So who really is well off? Who is really blessed? Who is living the dream? Jesus has an answer to that question. And Jesus says, blessed is anyone who is living and alive in the kingdom of God, regardless of their immediate circumstances. Blessed is anybody who is daily trusting in, interacting with God, almighty God, in God's great venture of bringing his kingdom to earth, heaven to earth. You see, anybody who has surrendered the burden of ego, hey, it's all up to me, it's all about me. No, if you've surrendered that and you've laid that down and you realize that life is actually about something bigger than you, Anybody who no longer has to carry the weight of the world's outcome on their shoulders, again, I've got to f- figure this out, I've got to make this happen, it's all up to me. Anybody who can, even for a moment, be truly grateful to God, thankful to God, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, anybody who finds their safety, not in the illusion of avoiding danger because they have so much money or they have so many connections or they have so much power, but instead in the reality that nothing can separate them from the love of God. You see, that's where I'm focused. Nothing can ever separate me from the love of God. No circumstance. Anybody who has put God in charge of their life, Lord, I surrender, I give it to you. I can't fix me or this or that. You see, the point is to be in the kingdom means you are blessed no matter what else happens. Your future is secured, it's certain, it's guaranteed. Your present is redeemed. What Jesus is saying in the Beatitudes, these words of blessing, that's what the attitude means. What Jesus is saying is that even the people regarded as the most deprived, the most insignificant in the world can now be blessed by living in the kingdom of God. Living in the kingdom of God is living the dream. Jesus would say, blessed are the poor in spirit. And so too, he says, blessed are those who mourn. Well, who's that? Who's he talking about? Well, blessed are those whose spouse has deserted them. They're certainly mourning. Blessed are those who have lost their job. Blessed are you who consider yourself a miserable failure at parenting because as you look at your children, you know, they're making some really bad, maybe some really hurtful decisions. Blessed are you who wanted to be a parent but can't be. Blessed are the chronically depressed. Blessed are the clinically anxious. Why? Because mourning and anxiety is a good thing? No, 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 no. You see, You are blessed because now to you, Jesus comes along to you and he says, you know, you too can come into my kingdom and I will be with you, I promise. And I will give you wisdom. You will not be alone, not for a second. You have a sure and good and certain future ahead. I promise you, you may be at the end of your rope, but you're nowhere near close to the end of mine. I'll be with you, he says. And so it goes in the Beatitudes. You know, blessed is the meek. Understand nobody in the world apart from God puts meek people in the good life fast track, right? No company has a meek employee of the month award. Nobody lists meekness in their match.com profile. Date me, I'm meek. Nobody does that. This is saying, you see, blessed are the charisma challenged. Meekness. Blessed are the inept self-promoters, right? Meekness. For you will inherit the earth as heaven comes to earth. Jesus is saying, you can be meek, not a self-promoter. I will promote you. I will love you. I will be with you. And so it goes, you see through the list. None of the conditions listed in the Beatitudes are thought of by our world to be tickets to the good life. None of them. And that's why Jesus mentions them. Blessed are the persecuted. Are you kidding? Really? Yeah, really. The persecuted people aren't blessed, but Jesus says, well, they are now. If they are persecuted for me. You see, the idea of the Beatitudes is that no human condition excludes blessedness now that Jesus is in the equation. And of course, Jesus himself was the great misfit. Jesus was the rabbi nobody could figure out. Jesus was the rabbi that that all the other rabbis looked at and said, yeah, he's, he's one of us, but he's not one of us, you see. Jesus is the great outcast. The Pharisees wanted to know, is he with us or not? And they eventually decided he's not. Jesus was the great failure. I mean, failure. He, his mission ended in death or so they thought. You see, this is Jesus. Jesus was that way so that all of the misfits and the outcasts and the failures, the basket of deplorables that I mentioned, they could and would find their way into his great and mysterious kingdom where things are so opposite the kingdoms of the world. You understand Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of God is, it's the upside down version of any kingdom in the world. It's the inside out version of any kingdom in the world. It's the backwards version of any kingdom in the world. See, here's the deal. In Jesus' community, uh, we help others to see us as we really are. And we want to help them see themselves as they really are because that's that poor in spirit thing, right? Um, Rule number one in Jesus community is supposed to be no pretending. Rule number one, Uh, we come just as we are to God and we discover Jesus. We come just as we are to one another and we discover community. You see, to be loved, to be transformed, that's why we come together, all our warts, all our blemishes, all our faults, all our failures, no pretending, not in this community. The apostle John was a good friend to Jesus. The apostle John wrote these words. He said, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins to God, to each other, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Gang, I want to tell you uh, one of the reasons, uh, well, back up. Very important, we, we we just kind of do a little parenthesis here and have a little conversation. Because this is something that the church really struggles with. Uh, there's an organization called AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. That organization actually started as a discipleship movement, a group of Christians trying to overcome addiction, the problem of addiction in their life. Uh, One of the reasons that movement has been so powerful is that anytime somebody talks at one of these meetings, they begin like this, hi, my my name's Dwayne, I'm an alcoholic. That's how you begin. And the other people in the circle there where you're sitting, they don't respond by saying, "Well." That is appalling. I'm shocked you would say that. No, instead they respond just by saying, hi, Dwayne. See? A great Christian thinker, his name is Kent Dunnington, wrote a book called Addiction and Virtue. It's a very interesting book. It's not an easy book to read. Uh, he's a student of this movement. He's a, he's a theologian. He's a philosopher. He's very, very bright. And he's also become a student of AA. This is what he writes. He says, the wisdom of AA is contained in its celebration. Interesting choice of words. Celebration of an addict's recognition and public acknowledgement that he is an addict. Such a recognition and acknowledgement is deemed an achievement and is celebrated by being ritualized and reiterated. It's that introduction that happens at every meeting. And it turns out that genuine, humble, costly, real-time, radical public admission of my inadequacies and my failures, my inability to change, my inability to control my own life, to, to uh, resist sin is part of what God uses to make change possible, even to make healing, a healing community possible. Now, as I said, this is sad, but churches get this messed up A lot. Churches can very quickly become gatherings of people with lots of pretending. No sin here, honest. You know, I just lied, but you know, no sin. Uh, You may not know this, but AA groups often meet in church basements. You may not know this, but we have an AA group that meets in our church basement. And in AA, they have a lot of sayings. One of their sayings that frankly haunts me, if I think about it, is this, that when you come to the church, you can come downstairs and be changed, you know, to the basement, or you can go upstairs and stay the same. Wow. You see, the point is downstairs, there's no pretending. Downstairs, everybody is a train wreck without God. Everybody's constantly admitting it. Downstairs, understand, everybody is blessed. Real community is happening downstairs. Real confession is happening downstairs. Real life-changing ministry is happening downstairs. You see, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. You see, we're in this series looking at the Sermon on the Mount and we're going to be diving into it kind of line by line as we go. Last week, we saw that Jesus' good news is that he's bringing up there down here. He's bringing God's kingdom down here to earth. This week, the good news is we're going to bring down there up here. The basement needs to come upstairs. You see, I'm pretty sure God wants the church, wants us to be as real and as raw as an AA meeting if need be. I know that's what he wants to happen in our small groups as we interact with each other, you know? He wants his church to live without pretending. Uh, So truth time, you know, I, I frequently pretend to be a lot nicer than I really am. And I pretend to be modest when I'm actually a recovering holic looking forward to my next binge. I pretend sometimes to know things I don't know, just to look knowledgeable, you know. I envy people sometimes. I covet other people's gifts or I covet their success and I wonder why I don't have that. Thank God I've never had any issues with sexuality or lust. Oops, that's a lie. I guess I have a problem with that too. How about you? You know, there are churches where nobody has sinned for 20 years (laughs) and everybody in those churches is dying. What kills the church more than anything is not sin. Sin. What kills the church more than anything is pretending there is no sin. We've got a great solution to the problem of sin. It's that pretending thing that just kills us. You see, we need to practice uh, what that gentleman was talking about. We need to practice together celebrating our inadequacy. Because when we celebrate our inadequacy, we're reminded of the one individual who's adequate. Jesus, you see. You know, in the history of the church, when the church gathers in a room like this, um, often what happens is what Daniel led us in a little earlier, something called a confession of sin. But often too in churches, when we do that, we do it kind of without thinking. We do it sort of rote, if you will. Or sometimes we sanitize it and give it religious language so it kind of seems a little bit distant from where I really live, what I really do. And since Kent Dunnington says, and again, I think he's right. He says, the recognition and public confession of inadequacy, spiritual inadequacy, is itself an achievement to be celebrated. I think he's right. I wanna invite you right now to do another confession of inadequacy with me. We'll call it a remedial confession assuming that some of you might've used that previous confession uh, without really giving it the thought that perhaps it deserved. Uh, And uh, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like for you to take just a second, uh, turn to the person next to you and you you can just say these words. This is what we'll use as our confession. You can say, without God, my life is a train wreck because that's probably true. Why don't you take just a second, say to the person, without God, my life is a train wreck. You know, that that doesn't have a lot of religious uh, fluff around it. It's not very churchy sounding. But I'll bet it's true. Without God, my life is a train wreck. Hmm. Here we want to celebrate our inadequacy. Because that knowledge of our inadequacy will drive us to Jesus. Here, we don't want to hide our inadequacy. We don't want to pretend like we're something that we're not. We don't pretend like we've been Christians so long that we've got most sin under control. We pretty much solve the problem. No, no. You see, no pretending here. You see, blessed are the poor in spirit. They're the ones who really know what's broken about themselves. And therefore, they're poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. They're the ones facing things that are so broken, they can't fix them. And so they mourn. You see, in Jesus' community, we learn to both see ourselves and others the way God sees them. This is important for living in a healthy way in the kingdom of God, seeing yourself and other people the way God sees them. In the Beatitudes, Jesus is showing us how the heavenly father actually sees us and other people. You know, when Paul came to understand this, he put it like this, this is second Corinthians five. He says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. There's an older translation to this. It says, we regard no one according to the flesh. Well, what is that? What does it mean to be regarding someone according to the flesh? Understand, uh, that's just the system of evaluation that everybody uses who's living in a kingdom of the world. Fleshly means of evaluating people. We evaluate people by asking questions like, you know, what do you do? Or observing, what do you own? Or how do you look? Or where exactly do you live? Or who do you know? You get the idea. You see, that's the flesh. In the year 2000, a couple of Silicon Valley engineers had an argument over the attractiveness of a particular woman. And they started an attractiveness rating system website. And they called it Hot or Not. That's what they called it. And it inspired a similar site at Harvard that was called Face Mash. You may have heard of it. That site eventually became Facebook. I'm sure you've heard of that. Within a week when they started that hot or not, they were getting 2 million hits a day. You could post a picture of yourself there, why you would do that, I have no idea, but you could do that. And then people would rate how attractive they thought you were. And those ratings were rank ordered and they were posted publicly. And everybody knew what this game was all about, right? Blessed are the hot, too bad for the not, right? That's what that game is about. But understand, when I see myself as one in that basket of deplorables like everybody else, when I put my trust and my faith in Jesus and I enter into his community, into his kingdom, I repent of my activity to that kind of thinking. You see, that is thinking that belongs in the kingdom of the flesh, the kingdom of self, the kingdom of this world. And what I do is I ask God to retrain my eyes, my heart, my mind to see myself differently. And for that matter, every other person differently to see them the way God sees them. You know, if you look at ads today, They speak volumes, actually. They tell us who the unblessed in our community are. Uh, The unblessed in the kingdom of the world. The unblessed are, you know, the overweight in our culture. The unblessed are the misshapen. The unblessed are the bald, the wrinkled, the ugly, the old, the awkward, the uneducated. That's the unblessed. These conditions in our day produce all kinds of unconditional, personal loathing and condemnation. Massive amounts. People feel this stuff. Even though they know it's kind of silly to measure yourself or even measure other people this way. Let me say, friends, we need Jesus' gospel to free us from sin's silliness. And thank God the gospel of Jesus does exactly that. So here's a to-do for you. Oftentimes I, I fail to do this in messages. But here's something that you could practice this week. As you think about yourself and who you are and your own spiritual inadequacy, that's being poor in spirit, see yourself rightly for who you are and and ask God to help you see other people rightly for who they are. You know, here's the problem when it comes to other people, we often forget how much other people matter to God and we treat them like they don't matter to us, therefore at all. Um, I was sitting in an orthopedic surgeon's office this week, uh, as I said earlier, And there was a young lady there who came in and she was very, very overweight. Um, uh, You know, maybe 300 pounds or something. She couldn't walk. She had one of those electric cart type car things that she was riding. And because I was, where I happened to be seated, there was an empty space next to me. So she came over and she backed in right next to me. And I have, uh, truthfully, I felt awkward. you know she was so overweight i you know just kind of wanted to avoid contact really is what i thought but then i thought about this sermon god does this to me all the time oh you want to say that (laughs) maybe you should try doing that you know (laughs) and it occurred to me that you know if this young woman was my daughter i would want people to interact with her and uh treat her normally, you know, whatever that is. So I I struck up a conversation with her, just a uh, short one. And I got to tell you, it was humbling because this young woman had a great sense of humor and just a very engaging spirit about her. And I, you know, it was in a place where I could just write her off as somebody who's very badly overweight and, you know, Probably not someone worth talking to, not somebody worth engaging. And I was wrong. I was totally wrong. Um, all that to say, you know, this week, let, let's practice thinking rightly about ourselves. We are spiritually inept. But let's also practice thinking rightly about others and see them the way God sees them as they matter. Let's practice looking past the surface. Let's look past the resume and past the clothes, past, you know, the flesh, if you will. And let's ask God to help us see people the way he sees people. That would honor him. You see, Jesus' kingdom brings the possibility of blessing now to everybody. Even, you know, to the addicts, to those who have been brutally treated and so they turn around and they treat others brutally to the boastful, to the bigots, to the drug lords, to the pornographers. It's no wonder that people said of Jesus, here is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Let's be honest, he was, and he is. This is a passage from a book that I love and I've read and reread it over the years. It's by Dallas Willard, Uh, it's Divine Conspiracy. It's just so powerful what he says. I thought I would just read you a chapter, um, just a paragraph, actually, but anyway, just see it if you're listening. Um, he, he writes these words. He says, "If I, as a recovering sinner myself, accept Jesus good news, I can go to the mass murderer and say, "You can be blessed in the kingdom of heavens, of the heavens." There is forgiveness that knows no limits to the betrayer and the adulterer, to the worshiper of Satan, to those who rob the aged and the weak, to the cheat and the liar, the bloodsucker and the vengeful, blessed, blessed, blessed. As they flee into the arms of Jesus' kingdom, these are God's grubby people. Friends, that is us, God's grubby people. Basket of deplorables. Any spiritually healthy congregation of believers, he says, in Jesus will more or less look like these brands plucked from the fire or plucked from the burning, right? That's a reference to Zechariah 3. If the group, uh, he says, for example, if the group of a church, if the group is totally nice, that's a sure sign something's gone wrong. And you know, as I survey you all, I think we're okay in this category. You look pretty suspicious. And then he says, for here are the foolish and the weak, the lowly and despised of this world, whom God has chosen to cancel out the humanly great. Among them there indeed are a few of the humanly wise, the influential and the socially elite. They belong here too. God is not disturbed by them, but understand, the attitudes are not a list of spiritual giants. You see, we are spiritually inept. We are the fellowship of imperfect people. We should be a celebration of the inadequate because that just drives us, that just pushes us to the one who is adequate. Now, having said all of that, the second half of the sermon is one more important word, okay, this, this matters. Having said all of that about us and about other people, that's not the last word. The last word is this. You may have noticed that Matthew says there are two groups of people listening to this talk that Jesus is giving. Uh, in the beginning, he says, now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, he sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying. In other words, there's this, these crowds and this large gathering of people and Jesus saw them. But then too, there are the disciples And Jesus' disciples came to him. The crowds are people who are certainly interested in Jesus. They probably want his help with their problems. They admire maybe some of his ideas and his teaching. But the disciples are people who used to be part of that crowd, understand? But have now committed themselves to following this teacher, they've surrendered to this teacher. They have said, I need this teacher more than anything I've ever needed before. You see, the disciples are just as imperfect, just as needy, just as poor in spirit, just as mourning, just as meek as everybody else, as all the rest of those folks in the basket of deplorables. But they have understood with clarity who this teacher is and they have understood how badly they need him. And so they're willing to lay it all down. They're willing to follow him at any cost and to do so with joy. And so they've become his students, his apprentices, his followers, his disciples, his learners, if you will. Now, every once in a while, somebody leaves the crowd and joins the disciples, you see. And they discover when they do that that even though it's true, they are spiritually inept, they're nevertheless blessed. They are blessed because Jesus is not spiritually inept. Jesus is everything they need. God's wisdom, God's provision, God's mercy, God's forgiveness, life, God's life, Life itself, that's Jesus. To know Jesus is to be blessed. To know Jesus and follow Jesus is to be in the kingdom of Jesus. And being in the kingdom, well, that's to be blessed. Pray with me. Father, as we study more deeply, uh, further into this sermon that Jesus gave, May we get to know Jesus better and may we get to know just how blessed we are because of him. May you reshape our thinking and may that reshape our behavior. May you reshape how we view other people. May you shape us as a community, Lord, to look like uh, a people who aren't pretending and a people with wide open arms to tell others about Jesus. And all this we pray in his name. Amen.